Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Season 2, Episode 14. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. And if you're an author needing to polish your book before you launch it, or you need coaching and help to launch your staggering work of genius, check out the services at BookLaunchMentor.com. Today, I am welcoming my friend Cheryl Weber to the Restory Show, and she does a lot of things and wears a lot of hats, but one of the things that she does is she is a host of 100 Huntley Street in Canada, and she's the international producer for Crossroads Relief and Development. She um, has a real passion for uh, relief work around the world, and she loves to tell stories, and I know that you are really going to enjoy meeting her today. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Cheryl Weber. Hey everyone, it's Mary back with the Restory Show, and today I have Cheryl Weber, and she is the co-host of Huntley Street, 100 Huntley Street in Canada, and that's how we met each other. She is awesome, and she has climbed Kilimanjaro, and her ankle didn't break while she climbed it, which is awesome. And today, we found out we were basically drinking out of the same mug, although in two different countries, so that was really, really funny. (laughs) Hey Cheryl, thanks for coming on the Restory Show. It's so great to be here and share our mug love with each other. <laughs> we, we even had to look underneath and say, is it the same company? And it was. I know. And I bought it in Canada and you bought it in the US. So strange. Yeah, I know. We must be like mug friends. Exactly. Love it. <laughs> so Cheryl and I really hit it off when we met each other at Huntley Street, which is great because, you know, going on to television can be really intimidating and stressful and it can be scary if you've not done it before. And she set me right at ease and we had some really good conversations over the past couple of years. So she's a good interviewer and now we're going to have her be an interviewee. <laughs> I know this is so scary. I don't know what to do. I, mean, <laughs> I, I might turn it around. You should watch me. I might start asking questions. So Mary, tell me about your restory. <laughs> right? What is your restory, Mary? <laughs> so let, yeah, let's have the listeners know a little bit about your story and just give us kind of give us your snapshot of where you grew up and um, bring us to kind of close to present day so we can get to the story that you want to share. For sure. So I grew up in Windsor, which is a border town uh, right across from Detroit, Michigan. So for a lot of us who grew up in border towns, we have all American news and and uh, TV and radio. And so I spent a lot of my, my growing up years in Detroit, which was really fun and uh, makes me unafraid of anything now. <laughs> uh, I went to school in the States actually too, four years at Oral Roberts University. Uh, Lots of people wonder why I went there from Canada. You know, Mm -hmm. lots of Canadians wonder why I went there. But for me, it was an awesome experience. And, uh, you know, it really gave me a vision for excellence in what I do. The the philosophy kind of was like, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you should be, have an excuse for not, you know, like God loves us no matter what kind of thing. So it doesn't matter how we do, but it was more like, actually, you have a connection to the God who created this entire beautiful, big world. And you should be the the best at what you do, the most creative. You have access 
to his inspiration. And so I really love that in the visioning of how I can bring my faith into what I do. I've been a Christian since I was four years old, worked in TV for over 20 years. And uh, one thing when I graduated was I don't want to work in Christian television. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I want to work in good television, credible, real television. So, of course, my first job was in Christian TV, and I've been there ever since. So just (laughs) one of the many ways that God writes the story that you did not expect and sometimes didn't really desire, but it's been good. I have a similar story. When we moved from the Pacific Northwest to Texas, I, I told the Lord that I will never go. This is kind of embarrassing to say it now, but I will never go to a Southern Baptist church and I will never attend a mega church. And <laughs> my husband's an elder at a Southern Baptist mega church. So. Oh, nice. So you had no choice, basically. Yeah. So it, well, I mean, that was later. He became an elder later, but we've been in this church for a long time and it's, we love it, but I just never expected that I would enjoy something I said I never would go to. So you got to be careful about what you say. story. You think about how God writes stories that you never wanted and, you know, and then you think you're going to be that suffering servant, like, oh, this is so terrible. I'm suffering for the Lord. But in actual fact, he gives you delight in his plans and he knows what will delight your heart even when you don't. And I, I what I do today is totally in opposition to my personality. I'm an introvert. I was terrified of being on television. I never wanted to public speak. I didn't like going anywhere. So part of my job is that I travel the world for our our relief and development, Crossroads Relief and Development, and I tell stories and I shoot. And uh, and I have a whole other story. You know, we have a lot of stories. (laughs) Kind of having that moment of surrender to God to my feet. It was was an altar call to, to give your feet to the Lord to go wherever he wants you to go. And I remember crying my heart out and saying, Oh, God, I don't want to travel the world. Because I could hear him saying to me, dusty corners, remote places, places nobody goes. And I was like, no. (laughs) So I remember like just giving my feet to him, taking off my shoes, dedicating my feet to him and saying, I will go wherever you want me to go. But one thing I ask is that you give me a love for it. Just change my heart. Just give me a love for what you want me to do. And, you know, within three years, uh, God took me to Europe. I lived there for the summer. I backpacked across Europe. And then I was like, why am I stuck in Canada? Why aren't I going anywhere? You need to send me to travel. And I love it. I absolutely feel the most alive in the the, uh, developing world. And I just go, God... You are, I'm living the exact life I never wanted and I'm loving it. In my mind, I have kind of a morbid mind, but I was thinking, you know, if you're going to give your feet to Jesus, part of you, if you were unwilling, it'd be like, I'm just going to saw them off and then present them at the altar. Just (laughs) not a part of me, but you can have them, Lord. (laughs) Just not going to (laughs) go. So yes, maybe we need to take another drink of our mugs. I need some caffeine after that. Yeah. So just a little bit more about your upbringing. So you grew up on a border town and who was in your family and how did it come about? You said you met Jesus at four. So how did that come about? Yeah. So I grew up with one sister, one older sister. So I'm the baby. You can't tell it all, I'm sure. No. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my parents, my mom was a Christian in a kind of a more historic church, uh, but she wasn't really discipled. So even though she had a faith in God and it was very real to her, like she heard from God, she she didn't really know how to live it anymore. And she married my dad, who was uh, Lutheran. He was an elder, but he didn't have a personal relationship with God himself. He just thought, you know, if I just live a good life on Sundays and then I'll just go to heaven and... So they they got married. Uh, They have an incredible story of God showing up at their wedding. That's for another time. But they had this, um, you know, my mom prayed for my dad for years to know God personally. And he finally, she gave him a Bible for one Christmas. He started reading it like crazy. 
and he loved war stories. And he got to that verse that said that you, you know, it's not by works that you're saved, but by faith. And he thought that's got to be wrong. And he ended up in every translation he could find. And he was like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. So my parent, my dad became a Christian. My parents really got on fire for God. And I noticed such a huge change in their lives. I was kind of like, I want what you have. I, you know, I, I see something different about you. This is at four. And of course, you know, you to be part of it too. You want to be part of whatever your parents are part of. So we got, we got a little circle. We prayed the prayer of salvation. And I literally saw, I had like a, like a vision. I, I don't know how to say it. Cause I had my eyes closed. So it wasn't like an open vision or anything crazy, but I just saw this swirling ball of colors go into my stomach. And then I form all over and I wanted to sing, Jesus loves me. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was, that was the beginning of my, of my spiritual journey. But I, I didn't always walk on the straight and narrow. I think uh, I had to figure some things out for myself, but God was always real to me. Like just, I just had that sense of, of him being real and his voice. And so, yeah, even when I wasn't living it as a teenager, I knew he was there. That's awesome. And then, so, uh, but you ended up at ORU, so you must have had some sort of kind of recommitment <laughs> or something before you went off. I don't know if there's any prodigals out there that can relate to this, but <laughs> when you're young, you know, it's like, I knew God was real. And my whole life, people had prayed over me and said, you have a calling on your life, you know? So I always knew that, but I guess you feel like you can, you can kind of mess around with the present, but I didn't want to mess around with the big story. You know, the big story of my life I wanted to happen, but I wanted to experiment and see, you know, if people like, for example, I wanted to see if people in the world were having as much fun as they look like they were having, for example. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I found out that they are, I mean, if sin wasn't fun, it wouldn't be a temptation. Like they actually are having a lot of fun, but at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty empty. And I think the biggest thing for me was not, not feeling distant from God, feeling that wall. And I just, I couldn't cope with that. It was such a dark, it was, I was in such a dark place. I just missed the light and his love so much when I cut him out and I would hear him calling me back. So when it came to ORU, my parents um, got me to go there for a college weekend to just check it out. You know, <laughs> when I was there. I had such a sense. This is where, this is, what where God wants me to go. And I wasn't going to miss out on the big thing. You know, I was in a relationship with a non-Christian boyfriend and I couldn't give him up. So I couldn't go back to God, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, I, I just said, no, I have to go, you know? And he's like, what, you know, you're going to go to Oklahoma. Like what? <laughs> and I'm not happy, but I went and then, and then ironically, while I was there, my boss, I had like a work, I had a, uh, some financial aid to work and my boss was a marriage counselor and he started messing into my life, you know, asking me the questions I didn't want to face. And so within three months, I think I broke up with my boyfriend and, and really could pursue God really had the freedom at that point. Cause sometimes you're, you're in a relationship or you're, you're in something that precludes you or you feel precludes you from following him. So I'll tell you, that was the prayers of my parents too. They, they had everyone praying that I would mm. not stay with. So, <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. And probably at the time you're like, quit praying, quit praying. But uh. <laughs> I know, you know, I know that God has said to me, like, you don't know where you'd be today if it weren't for the prayers of your parents. And so I'm so mm -hmm. thankful. And for every praying parent out there, man, I tell you, prayer works. And I put myself in crazy situations and never had one bad thing happen, which should have. Like, you know, being in places in Detroit at five in the morning that are so dangerous and nothing. And I know that was the grace of God. I didn't deserve it. But I'm so grateful and grateful to my parents. Yes, that's amazing. So as I talked to you about this podcast, I said there might be a story that comes to mind. And you said there was. And so what story would you like to share today with our listeners? 
Yeah, I I want to share a story about kind of a difficult season in my life because when I think about your your beautiful theme of restory, how God takes the darkest places of our lives and rewrites them into something beautiful. I I thought of this story and it's it's a it's a tough story for me because I grew up in a in a faith tradition that didn't have any grid for suffering. So my belief was growing up is that I would be rich. So I had planned my couple luxury cars, couple luxury cars that I would own. It really hasn't happened yet quite that way, Mary. <laughs> Perhaps I need to stop working in ministry. Loving that hatchback. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a hole in my bumper right now. Um, you know, and, I, and I just thought I would always be healthy and I would always be financially blessed. And these are the promises of God. And so I really had no grid for suffering. And, and I, I was at a church service and I heard this this uh, man speak who was one of those people who talked to God every day, like really had that kind of relationship where they heard God. And everything he was saying was so fresh. I don't know how else to say it. It was so fresh. And and some of it offended my my worldview. Like I didn't totally agree because of my, you know, my theology and the way that he talked. And I thought to myself, I don't know God. And I don't think I know anybody who does. And so I prayed a dangerous prayer. You know those dangerous prayers, Mary? Uh, I do. <laughs> do them anymore. Because I... <laughs> I said to God, I said, um, I want to know you as you are, not as I think that you are, not as I'm comfortable with you being, not as, I, not as I've been taught that you are, and not as I want you to be, but I actually want to know you as you are. And I was so passionate. I, I don't think there was a time in my life where I was more committed to God than during that season or passionate about him. And what happened after that is that I lost everything. Literally, I lost everything. And I remember saying to God, when I, when I said to you, like, I give you everything, I meant that, like, hypothetically. I didn't actually <laughs> Figuratively. Because right? we do that. We get caught lost in worship or singing, and we're like, oh, God, I give you everything. And he goes, okay, I'm calling that in. I'm taking everything. Ah. Mm-hmm. And for me, that, that was a really tough time because in my theology, I had no understanding of a God who could take everything. And, and, you know, in a way, that theology that I had made life very safe. If I do this, then God has to do that. If I give 10%, I would think I was giving 30%, then God will surely bless me financially and nothing bad will ever happen to me. And if I have faith, then I will always be healthy. And, you know, I broke my ankle. I lost my job. I um, ended up having to move out of my house with my roommate who was being physically abused by her boyfriend who lived next door. Uh, we were in ministry together, so I had to resign from our ministry together. I, my car died. And and then I remember God dealing with my heart about giving my roommate my cats. And I was just like, you know, you've taken everything to my cat. Like, <laughs> you know I mean? like every last drop of blood from my body. And so it was a hard time for me to understand that God loved me because I, I didn't have a grid for a God who loved me and would, would cause that much pain in my life. And um, so it was kind of a dark time. I mean, I, I clung to God. And, and strangely enough, in that time, I met some awesome praying women who um, did some really deep ministry with me. And so one of the great things that happened in that time, and I think this is true, that we avoid our pain and we avoid dealing with our pain uh, because it's so hard. And sometimes it takes a trauma or a terrible circumstance for us to really face the root pain. And and the stuff I dealt with wasn't about the circumstance. It was about the very foundations of my life. And so we would have these long, you know, spiritual counseling slash prayer sessions. And I would come home feeling like I had no skin on my body, just raw. Like I didn't want to be around people. I just wanted to sleep. And, and it was just a really hard season. And I'm, and I don't even know if I felt God that much, to be honest. 
but I believed he was there and I clung to him, even if it was by a string, I just clung to him, not understanding that season. And I was unemployed for about 10 months, uh, had a, you know, uh, heal my broken ankle, learn to walk again, living with my parents at 30, really depressed. You know, you've been out of home for like 10 years to move back in with your parents. It's humiliating, but they were lovely, of course. And, you know, after that, God started rebuilding my life, but I would say it took me years to figure out what happened, you know, and now I, I see it. I say, I see that when I said to God, I want to know you as you are, what was missing in my understanding of God was I had no grid for suffering. I had no understanding of who he was in suffering. And it was like a whole huge area of my life, just totally not there. And I can't help but think I'm, I'm pretty similar to the rest of the church in North America, especially now that I've traveled the whole world and I've been so spent so much time with the suffering. I realize that in many times we're unprepared for a season of suffering. And because we have no grid for it, many of us lose our faith. Many of us become bitter and walk away and just like, I don't want to serve a God who would let that happen to me. And I don't feel, and you know, for me, I didn't feel safe with God after that. Like you could, you could do anything at any time. And now I can't count on all those rules that I had you boxed in by. Now you're this unpredictable, scary, wild God. And I don't know what you're going to do next. This last year, the Lord gave me the word subtraction. And I was like, (laughs) awesome. I really wanted like <laughs> multiplication or addition or anything but takeaway. So I have been walking through that season and you're right. I mean, when you're stripped away from things that were, you know, you're, you realize what, where you're placing your security in all the decorations of your life or all the constructs of your life. And you realize how little you've been relying on the Lord. And I think too, like it reminds me of going overseas to Ghana and talking to a friend of mine who said, you know, for 10 years, I didn't know when my next meal was coming, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Like for 10 years, he didn't know. And his, he had to pray every day that God would provide his daily bread. And we in the North American church typically don't understand that. We don't understand what it's like to fully rely on God's provision for food. We just don't. And so deprivation and suffering helps us to understand the suffering servant. And so as you went through that, I'm sure that you had flashes of recognition about what Jesus went through, or did it give you a kinship with him as you suffered? You know, I got to be honest with you. Uh, At the time I was pretty shut down. Like, I think I just shut down a lot. I tried to seek him, but I just felt very distant. So I think it was in the years that followed, like really these things as we understand in retrospect. And I think what I really understood in the end, Mary, is that I had a calling. I have a calling on my life to be a voice for the voiceless. And so that's a big part of, that's a big part of my makeup and my passion. And I traveled the world doing that. But how could I have done that if I don't understand suffering? How could I be a voice for them if I don't understand and you know what they're going through? And then to be able to say something pat to them, like, oh, just have faith mm-hmm. or, oh, you know. And, and I even remember God teaching me about suffering prior to that. Like I went through a little season where he was kind of teaching me. I, I interviewed a woman who had had breast cancer and she believed God for healing and, and, and she, she was healed, but she didn't know it. And she went in for her surgery and they started, they were going to do a mastectomy or a lumpectomy and they started looking for the cancer and they couldn't find it, but they kept digging and digging and digging. And so she said, you know, finally they shut me back up and I was healed and it was great, but my breast is still mangled. I still have all these scars. And so me, from my faith perspective, said, oh, just believe God, he'll heal your scars. And when I said it, I felt my spirit, I felt the spirit within me go, you know, like this, like, <laughs> like, that's wrong. I don't know if you ever feel that way where you're saying something and your spirit inside is not witnessing. 
And I was like, what, God? I was asking him as I'm walking out with her. And he said to me, battle scars. And he, he sounded so proud. And I was like, what does that mean? And so a few weeks later, I was um, screening an interview because I, I produce television. So I was looking at an interview um, of these people giving their testimony that are Canadian icons. They've traveled from coast to coast and in the Arctic, done tons of work. And I saw tire tracks down their face and I had done their whole body. And I was like, what is that God? Like, what are these tire tracks? And he said, it's the price they've paid to travel this country preaching my gospel. And he sounded so proud. And he said to me, battle scar. And I was like, Oh, okay. I think I'm getting this. Like you, you actually see it as an honorable thing. And so the, the third thing that happened is my pastor came up to me and we were just chatting about something. I can't remember it out of the blue, literally not connected to what we're saying. He says to me, the wounds that I have suffered in ministry are like sergeant stripes on my shoulders in the spirit. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like, this is so weird. All this stuff is happening to me. And so I said to God, okay, what is it, what's the difference between a war wound and a battle scar? And he said, a war wound is a wound that hasn't healed. A battle scar is a wound that's healed but's left its mark. And, you know, I look at you, Mary, and like all that, all the suffering that you've gone through personally, how you're using it to heal so many other people. But you are healed. You're, a, you know, you're healed. You're a healed wounded person. I don't know how to say it. And it's like those scars on your life, they've left a mark on you, but God's using it for good. And I think that's what God was trying to show me is like these hard seasons, you know, he wants us to pursue healing, not to stay wounded and oozing out on everybody. We've met, he wants you to be healed, but it's so that you can heal others. And I think in particular, you have a a specific uh, grace for somebody who's like, I know that I have a specific grace for someone who's suffering because I know what it's like. And I know that he had to teach me that because I couldn't do what I do now with any spiritual credibility or any kind of authority or any kind of compassion truly without suffering. I wouldn't volunteer for it though, Mary. I got to tell you. <laughs> no, I, it's hard. I'm thankful for what I have from it, but I don't really enjoy it. <laughs> well, and you know, it says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And so he, he didn't relish he he cried and didn't want it and said but not your will but you know not my will but yours and and he also has those scars so i always kind of wondered about you know the fact that you would think that in his resurrected body in jesus's resurrected body that those scars would be gone but he has those as well so when we have them we're more like him i love that i love that you're right he showed the scars on his hands they were and, still there know, we live in a culture that pursues youth and beauty. And so we don't value the scars. Many other cultures, you know, value the elderly and the wisdom that comes from them. And they don't try to make them look young or they see them as something to be honored, you know, for what they've learned. And I think as our, in our culture, we need to realize that the scars that we carry from whatever we've been through can be something beautiful in God's eyes and that he sees it as pro- something to be proud of because we're, we're warriors in a battle against against darkness and we do sustain wounds but god heals them and then he's proud of us because we are tested in battle and i just that was such a life-changing revelation for me you know he's taken years and so many other instances in the developing world where he's talked to me about his view on suffering and it's so different than anything i ever not, not only what i was brought up in but really what i could understand or imagine you know he he's proud of us he is. And, and, you know, we we're most like him when we're healing and, and bringing healing to others. And yeah, you're right. I think we do need to be a little more proud. And I, I resonate with what you say. I've really struggled lately with this idea of the idealization of youth 
And even in the church today, I'm seeing it in North America, so that even in Canada as well, it's like all the leaders are below 30. And for the first time, you know, because now I'm not in my 30s and I'm in my 40s, and first time I was like, I don't know if I want a pastor that's super young. Like, I don't know if they have the experience of walking through the trenches. You know, they might be flashy and they have some, you know, energy, which is awesome. And I appreciate that. But I also kind of miss, I feel like we've left behind the greater wisdom and for the, for the chasing of youth. Maybe I've said that just because I'm not youthful anymore. But. <laughs> no, hey, I'm a woman in my 40s on on television, so I I know that pressure, and I have to I have to give myself God's perspective all the time about it, or else you can just compare and disqualify. And as women, I mean, con- women, we are the first to disqualify ourselves. Nobody else has to step up to the plate. We already have our list of all the reasons that we're not worthy, and so I think I have to just say to myself, you know what, this is about what God wants to say through me and God wants to do. And I can't control, you know, if at some point they say, okay, old bag, get off TV. I'm not, I'm not really, I don't think that that old yet, but I do understand that that's the reality for women in this, this media driven culture, you know, and I just have to trust to God that he's going to write my story. And he is, he's already written a better story than I ever could have written myself or imagined. And just focus on the message because I think the enemy gets us distracted by looking at ourselves and how we look. And we're not, you know, there's always somebody better than you, better looking and better speaking and whatever, wealthier and wiser and more profound, whatever, whatever it is that we want to compare and we do. But at the end of the day, only one person can do what you are called to do. And we just have to focus on that and push the rest away and say, no, I'm not going to get distracted by all, all these comparisons and all these disqualifications. And why is the enemy working so hard anyway, Mary, at, at that? Because God has placed something in us that is, that is of value, that is, that is so worth something. And we just can't get distracted. And I tell it to my guests all the time because, you know, people are, are scared about being on TV. All your insecurities come to the forefront. And it's like, no, what does God want to say? And when you focus on that, everything else goes away. Who are the, who are the people that are watching right now, you know, that need to hear this? I remember uh, my first radio interview ever, and I was in France at the time, and so it was late, late at night, so the time difference, and uh, I was so nervous. I was really stressed out, and my first book had released back in the mid-2000s, and and finally, I just kind of took a deep breath, and I was like, you know what? This is not about me. I'm going to just think about how, I'm going to think about the person on the other end and what they need and how I can be a blessing to some random person in the middle of the United States who needs to know that they're loved. And that completely took away my fear. And I suddenly saw it as a huge privilege. And so, you know, I don't know how that can apply to, you know, all of us, but I think all of us when we walk outside our door, we're thinking, oh, am I this? I'm not enough that. I'm not enough this. But instead of thinking what you're not, think about the people out there that desperately need to know that Jesus loves them and how can you bring that to people, which is a whole different mindset than the insecurity that naturally comes by living in our uh, image-driven world. It's so true. I think um, the enemy is just so hard at work with disqualification and, and all the things that we can't do. And I, I just, you know, I, I think as leaders too, it's really important that we're honest. You know, I've been, I've been pretty, pretty honest uh, here, 
But I feel like it's important because when, when people see that, you know, we struggle. Like when, when people see you, Mary, the author of all these books and conference speaker, and, you know, we talked about our bios written by marketing people. They sound so amazing, but we're still at home <laughs> scrubbing the toilet, you know. Um, when people see that, that God uses you and yet you still struggle. Sometimes you're still afraid. You're often still insecure. Like all those things, it starts taking away your other people's excuses, all their excuses. Oh, Hey, I was a prodigal and yet look, God can still use me. So I've messed up. I've been afraid. I've been insecure. All of that. Right. And every one of those things knocks something off someone else's list. You know, people say to me, like, how did you get to where you are? And I say, only difference is that I said, yes, I said, yes. When I was scared, I said, yes. When I felt unworthy, I said, yes. When I didn't feel like I was big enough on the inside to fill the shoes that God was asking me to step into. I just kept saying, God, you're opening the door. You're going to, you're going to give me what I need. I'm just going to say yes. And that's it. We have to wipe away those excuses and and stop listening to this culture that is so shallow and yet so hungry for something real. So they pursue the shallow and yet they're longing for something real. You know, it's a dichotomy that we live with and we, we have to serve up the real. We have to be real to start with. We do. And when we do that, we invite others into community. And it's ironic that you said the yes thing because I'm sensing that yes is 2017's word. So from subtraction to yes. So I'll be saying yes to all sorts of things. So after you went through this like period of major, like stripping away, living with your parents, and then God gave you a heart for the broken and the lonely and the marginalized, not only in your own country, but all over the world. How did that unfold before you? Yeah, you know what? It was a um, it was a it was a slow process. I would I would have loved it to be like Joseph, where you go from prison to the head of the nation in one day. But in actual fact, I found for me, restoration was inch by inch. So mm-hmm. I got a job. I had to move back to near Toronto. Um, it was for not a lot of money. <laughs> I was living in my friend's basement, getting rides to work and. Someone gave me a car, you know, just little miracles along the way. And God started to restore my life. Um, It was a while, though, before I worked with the suffering. But I do remember. So what happened is I, I lived in Europe after that and fell in love with travel, like just fell in love with it. And I just I didn't want to be in Canada anymore. I wanted to live in Europe. I wanted to see the world. And, uh, I had, um, someone that was a boss at the time who didn't think that I should travel, thought that I should be all about Canada. And so I had all these opportunities and he kept closing the door and here's the irony of God, right? He finally changes my heart and gives me the desire to do what he called me to do. And then he starts testing my heart by shutting the door. And so I had another chance to become bitter, to become frustrated. And I had to keep saying, you know, God would just say to me, I'm writing the story of your life and it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter for the chauvinism that you see around you. It doesn't matter that people think that you're not worthy or that they have a different idea for your life or they think that they control your life. I'm going to put you where I'm going to put you and no one is going to stop me. And I want you to hang on to that. And there's a verse in the Bible that says a man's gift will make a place for him. And God said to me, I wrote the Bible so I can change that. And I can say to you, a woman's gift will make a place for her. So I held on to that for 10 years and my boss would just give me like little drops here and there. Like, like, let me go to Cambodia to advocate for sexually trafficked women. I went to India with, with voice of the martyrs talking to persecuted Christians. And so I had, I went undercover in Cuba and, you know, to expose the poverty that people are really living in. And so I, I had all these little drops and then there'd be like a year or two of desert in between. 
And I remember specifically being in India, one of my favorite memories. Um, I was there as a journalist. So if you're trained in journalism, it's it's very objective. You, you can't get involved. You know, I wasn't there to minister. I was there to tell stories and raise awareness. And yet the line, when you're on the mission field, those lines get blurred super fast. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. long ago, I had to let all that go. But at the time, I was fighting for it. And so the guys I was with said to me, oh, we're going to get, we're going to this church of these Dalit Christians and Dalits in India are the lowest of the low. They, they, they're lower than a dog. Their name literally means crushed and they, they're untouchable. Like people can't really not touch them. And he said, we're going to give you five or 10 minutes to talk to them. And I was like, ah, talk to them. like preach like me. So I remember asking God what I should say. And he just gave me this incredible, another, another piece of my suffering journey. He gave me this incredible picture and revelation of how, hard it is in India, how spiritually, you know, polluted it is, how, and how these, these Christians were so persecuted for their faith. And, you know, he said, I put them, I put these people in one of the hardest places, incredible poverty, incredible spiritual oppression, persecution for their faith. And he said, and I've honored them with suffering. And I was like, what? You've honored them? And he says, yeah, because I trust, I trust them that they will stay faithful to me in that situation. These are people that I trust very much. Oh, so I got up to speak and I just totally lost. I have a picture of me bawling at the front of that church because here I was speaking to the people who are at the lowest in the country, considered to be just dirt under people's feet. Their lives were worthless. And God was saying he has honored them. These are people he honors. And so I said, I'm honored to be among a people that he honors. And I had a chance to, to lay hands on every person just quickly and bless them. Because they're the untouchable. And I wanted to touch every single, especially the women. I wanted to touch every one of them and say, you are not untouchable. And so, you know, God was just continuing those pieces in me to show me that he sees suffering so differently than we see suffering. And so finally, after 10 years of this, of for my global call, a door opened up for me to be the spokesperson for our relief and development work here. And I started traveling like literally on a plane every two months somewhere in the world. And it was a it was a crazy time initially, and the boss that had been against it the whole time was like, "Yes, you're the perfect person for this." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, God makes all things beautiful in His time, Mary, and that that's the hard thing. It's in His time. Sometimes we try to fulfill the things we know He's saying over our lives out of season, and it doesn't work. And you sometimes you just got to wait for His time and trust that the gift he's put in you will make a place for you. And even when people don't believe in you and they try to hold you back and they, you know, it just, it's like everything's against you and you can be blaming the person, but in actual fact, it's God doing a good work in your heart to die to everything, to lay it all down, to trust him with all your heart. And I, I think that's the, that's the theme really is trust him with all your heart. Even when you don't understand, you know, when I was suffering, I didn't understand. I didn't have any revelation about what was happening. I just, I just held on to him because he was my only hope. Yep, I so I so agree, and I think as a church in the north in North America, we are worship we worship the idol of control, and we um, also worship the idol of security and safety, and so we try to construct lives that do not that can push out suffering, and so that's why it bewilders us bewilders us when it happens. <laughs> And, uh, but we, for, we do not realize that the growth comes in that very crucible, which is why I wrote, I wrote a book called everything, which is funny because then I can just say, I wrote everything. But, um, <laughs> the point of that book was I looked back on my suffering and I was like, 
what was that all about? And even recent suffering. And, and I, then I looked back on my growth. Like if you could track your suffering along a, you know, kind of a growth chart or whatever of highs and lows, you will notice that your greatest growth comes through your greatest suffering. And yet we try to micromanage our lives to avoid it. And then we wonder why we're shallow Christians. Well, it's because we haven't walked in the suffering that's in front of us and engaged with people's lives and all of that. Not that I do that perfectly at all, but I think we're doing ourselves a disservice when we run away from suffering and we try to avoid it at any cost. And control is an illusion anyway, you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't think, exist. You know, when you're a child, you don't have control, so you realize it. And then you gain control. And then when you age, you don't want to let go of control, but you have to again, which I think is the hardest thing about aging is all of a sudden you can't drive or you can't live in your own home or, you know, I, it's it's tough. And I think if we practice now of trusting God and giving really giving him control, you know, one of my favorite sayings is a miracle doesn't happen to you absolutely need one. So we don't get healed because we go to the doctor. Not that it's wrong to go to the doctor. Please don't hear me. I'm not saying that. But we depend on our we depend on our paycheck. We depend on our health care. We depend on our friends. We depend on everything and we'll do anything except depend on God. And it's when we depend on him, like, we're, you know, God, we're trusting you for everything. That's when miracles happen. That's when we see the supernatural break into our lives. And in my experience, it doesn't happen any other way. Generally, it doesn't happen. When we're desperate, when we're desperate for him and he's our only hope, that's when we see God move in miraculous ways. I so agree. So one of my questions to end this is, um, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's currently walking through a season of suffering? That's a really good question. And, you know, I think to be authentic and honest, um, in that season, we the one thing you want to do is shut everything down and run from God, you know, especially because if, if we understand that, that God's the Lord of our lives and he's in control, then however you, you, you construct that theolo- theologically, and I'm not even sure it really matters. The enemy's doing it. God's allowing it. God did it. I mean, people have all different approaches, but whatever's happening, it's happening and, and God's not stopping it. So you have to deal with that. And, and your instinct is to run. And I would say the most important thing is to run to him to the best of your ability. And if you can't run to him, then, then cling to him, even if it's by a thread. Just don't let go of that hope and that thread. You know, my favorite verse, Mary, and I'm sure you can relate because I know we've been through, we've both been through some really hard things, is weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I love that verse. It's like, sometimes it just seems like that night never ends and the weeping never stops, but there is a day that joy comes in the morning. And, you know, when people make the decision to prematurely end their lives, or to walk away from God or do something very final, it's just the wrong thing because what your today is not your forever. What is happening to you today is not where you will be forever. And you can't see it at the time, but a new season is coming. And so I would say, hang on for that new season, hang on to God, even if it's by the tiniest thread, don't let go and just try your best to trust him, press in. Like that is the time to press in and you know, the Bible talks about treasures in darkness, Mary. When I look at your life, I see that there's so much. Um, I interview a lot of people and there's so much about you that is deep and beautiful and honest. And I think that that came from, you know, seeking out the treasures of the darkness. You know, that, that's part of being a writer and an introvert and all the great things that you're able to do. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that is a gift to the world, you know. And so just to remember that your today is not your forever and that joy comes in the morning and pray for that morning to come because it is coming. 
Yeah. And I love that word endure because that's, it's about perseverance and endurance. And, you know, we're supposed to let that endurance have its perfect result. So it's important that we just keep going and, and it's hard. It's I acknowledged anyone listening today who's going through a suffering that seems long and, and, and full of drought and whatever that yes, it does. And that's hard, but God is with you. And I can promise you that he is even beyond our emotions. Um, that's something that being married to a theologically astute husband has been good for me in many ways. And one of them is my feelings don't change the truth of the gospel. My feelings don't change the truth of his, his eminence. It doesn't change the truth of his availability. He is there whether I feel it or not. And that has been very helpful to me not to rely on my despairing emotions versus the reality of the truth of who he is. So it's been really good. So in this past year, um, how has God restoried you? What's been the story he's been working in and through you in this past 365 days? Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, I would say that that arc of restoration has taken a long time. This year, uh, full time, I've become the co-host of a national TV show here in Canada, Christian TV show. And um, it's it's kind of one of those funny things, Mary, where it's like uh, you've achieved something you never aimed for. So it's kind of surprising. I, I always saw myself as a journalist and as a person who, who tells stories around the world and travels, but someone who's in a studio every day uh, hosting a, a, a Christian show, I just, I didn't think I was that girl, to be honest. And yet I'm having so much fun. Again, it's one of those surprises that God has for me. So I, I kind of see this year as as restoration even more, you know, to um, there's just been some great breakthroughs and opportunities that have come up. And that he's given me a gift that I didn't want and that I'm really having fun with. So, <laughs> you know, just surprises to come. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, honestly, I don't even know where, where we're going anymore. For all those people with a five-year plan, I am probably the, the worst person to talk to about it because it's kind of like, what's the point? He's going to write something that you never expected. And yet every time I, I say yes and go into the season that I never intended or looked for, I find that it, it, it thrills something in me that I didn't even know was there. And so I feel the responsibility of uh, speaking to Canada about God and, uh, you know, like I want to make sure I do that so responsibly and, and, and represent him well and, and not fail. But at the same time, I, again, I'm so dependent on him every single day. And, and he's the one that has to do the work. You know, he, he has to do the work in me that I can reflect out and give me the words and move people's hearts. And so, yeah, it's it's just been a it's been restoration year, I think. Part of that restoration. I love that. And I I really the thing that the Lord's been showing me lately has been this this open-handedness like you're talking about of I struggle as an achiever to want to make things happen. And so then my I default to doing nothing. And so there's somewhere in the middle is this like active trust that's supposed to happen. But I think there's something beautiful about kind of surrendering everything and saying, Lord, you direct the path. I cannot force my career to do what I need it to do or what I want it to do or what I think it should do, or I can't force my life to go in the way it should go or the way I think it should go. It's more, I need to just open my hands and do that. It's this quote I love from Keith Green in one of his songs. He's saying, do your best, pray that it's blessed and he'll take care of the rest. And I think that kind of shows like we do have responsibility, but we also have responsibility to surrender. And then he kind of shows up on that, st that particular stage. 
I love it. You know, when I graduated from university, I had a dream of being a reporter and every step that God took me in my career. And I really like would try to follow, like, listen, like where he wants me to go and try to take those steps. And it took me farther and farther away from that. And I became a producer behind the scenes. And I thought, I love this. I don't have to worry about how I look or any of that. I can just produce and be creative. And, and I, and I got so comfortable and God took me on a little journey uh, where he he got me in a corner so that I would agree to go on television and be a reporter again. <laughs> and, and, you know, I had died to that dream so many times that by the time I actually got the opportunity, I was hesitant. And I finally did say yes. And I was doing the job for three months. And I was I woke up one morning and I was getting ready for a shoot. And God said to me, you're living your dream. And I realize it, Mary, I had died to it so many times. It was, it was dead like dinner. So dead that when I finally got it, I didn't even know it. And hmm. he had to tell me, you're living your dream. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh my gosh, this was my dream, but it was dead. Like it was gone. And I think there is a process in that death where when you die to, to your, to your dreams, even when they're his dreams for you, but you own them and you want to make them happen and you want to protect, then you get protective then you get competitive, then you get threatened and, and, and destroyed when people don't believe you. And there's this whole drama that goes with it. Right. But when you let it go, like really let it go, then when it happens, it's God's thing. He owns it. He has to protect it. He has to make it happen. He has to give you what you need. It's a whole other way of living. And I think it's, it's actually more peaceful you know, and, it, and it's less insecure in a weird way. And also, you know, that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn it. Like it's totally God. You know what I mean? This is his thing. It's totally him. And I think that's what he wanted. I think that's why he pretty much beat it to death. And that would be my advice. You know, people that have dreams, give them back to him because we start to own it. And then we feel like we got to make it happen. And then a lot of yucky stuff happens in the middle of that. <laughs> a lot of really yucky stuff. <laughs> I hear you. I think too, I've seen it in the US and maybe you've seen it in Canada, maybe not as much, but in the Christian celebrity realm where when you are, when you get success early and quickly and you get everything you always wanted, um, I'm seeing people crash and burn in their thirties and forties because they didn't have any sort of character to back up, you know, the stage that they were on. And so we have to be, I've had to go back to the Lord so many times and just thank him for not giving me fame and thank him for being small and for not being, you know, a household name or whatever. Cause there were times in my insecurity that I felt like that would make me full. That would fill me up. And I'm so desperately grateful that none of that happened and that he allowed me to slowly build a career where I could have the, hopefully the integrity to bear the weight of whatever platform comes my way. So I think we have to be careful what we wish for that. I guess that's what I want to say. You know, we, what if, what if you had gotten your dreams right away? What if I had been a bestseller coming out of the gate? It, it would not have been God's best for me personally. You have so much beauty in you and authenticity and um, treasure. I would say that I'm thankful for the journey that God has you on. And I know he's not going to waste it. And, you know, the thing about celebrity is it's fleeting. And, and if you buy into it, you know, and I hate to say it, but people are fickle. And I'm sure nobody listening is, but I'm just saying, <laughs> by our nature, you know, we love you one day. Think about Obama. You know, people loved him with a passion. The whole globe loved him. And now people will hate him with the same passion, you know, or disappointed in him. And it's like, you can't count on that. That's not real. And I think for me, God said to me this summer, actually, he made me laugh because, you know, you have those conversations where he know he says that he knows you so well that it's kind of cute and it makes you laugh. Like when you're in love, those moments, 
he said to me, you know, for most people, not being on a stage or not being on television would be the sacrifice that they would make for me. He said, but people won't believe you. But for you, Cheryl, the sacrifice you make is doing those things. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's been a hard, it's hard for me as an introvert to do this life. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know. He's just, he's just so faithful, but I really try not to buy into any of it because tomorrow I could, I could be working at McDonald's, you know, and that's good too, because there's lots of ministry opportunities there and, and all of life is in seasons, right? You, you have a season where you flare like the sun and you have a season where you're invisible and toilets and serving your children and all God's in every single one of those seasons. And they're beautiful. I agree. And I just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your story. And it's just been such a refreshing episode. And I know that the listeners are going to be so excited. I'm thinking of a friend of mine in particular, who's a missionary, and she listens faithfully to these podcasts But I just happen to know this one's really going to bless her. So thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show. Thank you. I love talking with you, Mary. I love your heart. And uh, just keep shining for Jesus. Seriously, you're awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are developing in all of us a theology of suffering, that even through the hardest times that we go through, you are with us, even when we don't feel like it. And I'm just so grateful for that and for Cheryl's story today about how you took her from the darkest places and brought her out back into the light. Thank you that she wants to wholeheartedly serve you. And I pray that for my listeners as well today, that we would pray some of those dangerous prayers about Lord, show me who you are, not how I think you should be or how I've learned in the past or what people have told me about you, but do anything that it takes to show me who you are. And what a a scary thing to pray, Lord, but we do just want to know you as you are and we want to be followers of you no matter where that takes us. And sometimes, Lord, that does take us into suffering places. So for those who are listening today who are suffering, I pray you give them a 20,000 foot perspective on what that suffering means and give us a glimpse of how you are working that to will and to work for your good pleasure. I'm just so thankful that nothing is wasted in the kingdom and our suffering is certainly not one of those things wasted. So give us that perspective today and help us to persevere in those situations where it doesn't seem like we're ever going to get through. Thank you that the truth is you are always with us, even despite our emotions and how we feel or loneliness that we might feel right now. So I just thank you, Lord, for seeing us and loving us and um, just give us a special extra dose of your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about today's shows with links and extended information, please go to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 2-14. And may you live a brand new story this week.